Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And we got a little something special going on this week. Discord has a new feature that I am told is is like what exact Clubhouse? Clubhouse. I don't know what that is either. So don't don't worry too much about that comparison. Basically, what is happening is that we are also recording this live for the fine folks in our Patreon, uh, from our Patreon who are in our Discord, and they get to hear the episode a little bit early. So if y'all are interested in that, if you're already patrons, cool. Just know that this is going to be happening. I think that you'll have more of a a lead-in time for next week. We'll have like a set time when we're ready to go. And if you want to listen to it like a day or two early, come join us. Yeah, as we do this more, we'll try and just like really hard commit to our recording times. We're usually pretty good. Hey. I mean, listen, we've been we've been consistent with the Thursday afternoon recording times. It's it's about three p.m. Pacific time Thursday afternoon right now, and we usually hit somewhere between like one and three o'clock on Thursdays. So if we can have that general range, I think that's probably enough for our people to work with and and try and get in and listen. Slowly over the course of the pandemic, that day moved back one, and it then. Did. We have our very erratic sleep schedules that are in the mix as well. It's not like we're we're busy, like <laughs> something yeah. has come up and we need to move it back, really. Nope. Just might just might be sleepy that day. And that's always yep. something you have to be able to adapt to. So we make it work. We find ways to do it. Uh, the other cool thing that's coming with this too is we're gonna stick around after we finished with the live recording and we're just gonna take some Q&A from the people who are listening live. The way the the Discord thing works is that people can like raise their hand to speak and then we call on them and they're just in the call. And we, we don't have a way to get their audio into the podcast recording yet. So you're not going to hear any effects of this. But maybe in the future, we can look at that. You know, we've done like the AMA episodes before where we just sit and talk for hours and hours about nonsense. Maybe we can find a way to do that live with our listeners. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think we could do that if we're not using Zencaster to record, right? If we were just doing something else. Right, we could do it in like Audacity and then just yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't mean I don't need to plan the audio <laughs> specifics of it here, but I do think we can make it work. And if people are interested in it, tell us. That's that's always what we respond to and what we plan around. It's just what people want and uh, what they want to hear and see from us. That's what we try and do. So. And now that we're kind of talking about this, I'm interested if people have other suggestions for things that would be cool. Like folks that are... A little bit more tech savvy than you or I. Yeah, we we get by with our limited knowledge of how all this stuff works, but it's always like glue and duct tape that we're able to put together these things with. So definitely open to inputs, ways to use this platform. I I, I think there's cool stuff. Like we talked about the potential for doing seal deck reviews on like the arena seal deck weekends. We could do those quasi live and speak to the person who's providing it to us. And you know maybe if we want to do a live watch along with an event. I think this is a really cool way to do it just because it lets people yeah. actually like chat with us. You know, it's, it's one thing to have a text conversation on our discord, which we're always down to do. Like we have the AMA channels and all that stuff. And I pop in and out of as many channels as I can, but I think it's another to just actually have a conversation with people, especially in these times where we're all a little starved for conversation. Yeah. Video. I think we could do a lot of cool stuff with, mm-hmm. so that would be exciting. Yeah. Anyway, strict saving has been fully previewed. doesn't come out for another week or so. Long preview season. Real long. Really? Yeah, I mean, the time between the completion and actually getting to play with it, Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely feeling that because we had, like, the historic stuff and then the entire set finally got previewed and started building decks and stuff. And I'm just like, it's only supposed to be, like, a couple days before I actually get to put these cards into play, right? And 
it is it has been a minute. The preview season itself was pretty short. We only got I think one episode really. Yeah, that that sounds right. We did like Not a first two, look. We did the first look, counts. then we did historic, and now we're doing this one. Uh, yeah, definitely the timing is is off from previous sets. I know, like for Caldheim, when we did the like SCG top five lists, I had already played with the set at that point, and it gave us a chance to correct like the things we got wrong on our podcast, like. Cosimo was a card that we had very high when we did our show. And then by the time we played with it, it was just off both of our top five lists for SCG, I think. And we haven't had that experience yet. And we we did those lists. And that's kind of the genesis of how we're doing this cast today. Because you and I submitted these lists over on Star City of our top five cards. And we both had the exact same reaction after we did it which was, I feel like an absolute buffoon right now because I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I liked your response when I sent you my top five list. You said, I only had to Google three of those cards. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what it is. There's there's so many cards that there's no cards simultaneously. Like everything is half playable. And I, I don't think I'm doing this set a disservice by saying it's the weakest set in a long time. I think that's pretty clear. But I also think it's interesting and good at the same time. Like, I'm not ultra down on the set despite saying that. It just, the power level is super, super flat. And a lot of this stuff does not compare to what's already present. Yeah. So, making a top 10 list would be like, well, I guess there's four playable removal spells in the set. And those would probably see play. I guess that goes on the top 10. It's like, well, that that doesn't really help anyone to just make a top 10 list with, like, you know, mediocre cards or whatever. I think a lot of these cards have potential to show up in various spots, but it's not going to be like Goldspan Dragon kind of showing up in multiple decks, spawning new archetypes and stuff like that. Right. And that is why for the first time ever, I believe, we are abandoning the top 10 framework. We, we do not have a top 10 list for you. I mean, honestly, take these cards we're going to talk about today, choose 10 of them at random, and that's essentially where our top 10 list would lie if you if you really miss it that much. But we just wanted to talk about interesting cards, talk about what has gotten our deck building juices flowing thus far, and uh, maybe just try and give you a new angle to approach this format with as we head into release in about six or seven days now, I think. Is it the 15th or the 14th the set finally drops? I remembered it as the 15th, but could okay. obviously be wrong. Yeah. Wow. Still a full week away. Just, yeah. just waiting. Just out here waiting. Yeah. At least let us play with the historic cards, you know? Come on. It'd be nice. All right. You want to get into it? Yes. Let's get into it. All right. This is, okay. This is in, I, I cannot stress this enough. Not in any particular order. Zero okay. order. Does not <laughs> this, matter. This is not me starting at number 10. This is not me starting at number nine. All of these cards are like tied for 30th. Okay. Yep. Just want to get that out there. Make that clear. First up, Velamachus Lorehold, 5R dub, 5-5, legendary creature, elder dragon, flying vigilance haste. Whenever this attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value less than or equal to this thing's power from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So I like this potentially with time warp in historic. I think that that is very clearly a powerful thing to do. Michael Majors wrote an article on Star City that was using this alongside Elspeth's Sons Nemesis and uh, the Royal Scions to give it two extra powers so that it could hit Allrun's Epiphany and then was, you know, transmogrifying into it or whatever. So those are things that are very cl- clearly powerful that you could do with it. But as just like a random value monster, I think that this is also fine. Like you, you 
get in and hit for five, presumably it's there on defense. You get a little bit of value. I don't think that that is necessarily where standard is, but this card is powerful. Yeah, so this was my number one card that I submitted to Star City. And as I wrote my explanation, I also said it would not surprise me if this saw zero play, which is a (laughs) weird place to put your number one card. But I think you did a good job summing it up in terms of just like, what does this do? How does this change the game of magic? It is a very, very powerful reanimation slash transmogrification target that also is castable. And that matters a lot. Like having a B plan of just making your stupid thing enter the battlefield the fair way and that being good enough can often carry you dragon lord atarka comes to mind doing a lot of the same tricks where like you could cheat it but like it's just a good card you're pretty happy to play it a lot of the time and this feels similar with its immediate impact on the battlefield but i think you need to have a lot of specific pieces around this card major's idea of pumping it is a little cute i think like it's a good usage of the card. I'm not trying to dismiss the idea. I just don't think like that is what is going to make this a super high quality card and standard. You just need a bunch of good five cost stuff to hit. And you mentioned historic. I've been drafting uh, a lot of decks built around Velamacus Lorehold. I was talking with uh, Mason yesterday. He posted a list and I'm like, well, I think you can do this super streamlined. And it seems very easy to just set up turn four reanimation always and have that almost always be lethal now it's super linear it, it does the same thing every game it can't really answer good graveyard hate it doesn't do a lot about disruption but like in terms of just achieving a goal consistently velamachus lorehold in historic does a very good job of making sure you're able to just take all the turns and win the game if you can attack with this and that's threatening and scary and uh it, it shows how much of a future this card has as a potential reanimation target when it comes to standard, it, it's got to find some good five mana spells to cast. Like I think you need to get max value or the four mana spells just have to be so out of line that you can get by with it. There's some options, but nothing that blows my mind right now. Yeah, I agree with that too. The The reanimation stuff in Historic is interesting because like Faithless Looting and Unburial Rites makes that setup kind of trivial where... Yeah. Brainstorm you can, too. Let's not forget yeah, that. Always yeah, of mention course. Brainstorm. Uh, you can you can fill out the deck with whatever sort of enablers you want to get it to happen consistently. The problem is not drawing on burial rights. Uh, you could backdoor into Mizzix Mastery, which requires also a lot of setup and you know deck space and everything like that. And then yeah, you have the problem of like dealing with graveyard hate, but whatever. You know you, you try and build the best machine that you can, and then figure out how to solve the problems. I think so. The the pieces are there. Someone is going to do something with it. Yeah, my, my list had Prismari Command just because you can answer Graf Digger's Cage and you have like another discard outlet, which it's not the primary function, but like having both in one card, I think can be pretty impactful as well as answering any problematic creatures that would prevent you from doing your thing. So uh, I think that card has some potential in those shells, but it, it's obviously like just a super linear theory craft deck at this stage, not something I'm concerned about. But the fact that you can do that in a format as powerful as Historic says a lot. Yeah. Next up, we have Galazeth Prismari. Two UR, three, four, legendary creature, Elder Dragon, flying. When this enters the battlefield, create a treasure token and artifacts you control. Have tap, add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast instant or sorcery spells. Babyest Goldspan Dragon is kind of how I look at this card. Yeah, and it, it plays very well with Goldspan Dragon, and I think that is a good core that you can put in a deck that has a lot of good support spells. The biggest problem I have with it is that deck 
also can just play Edgewall Innkeeper and a bunch of adventure creatures. And when you start doing Galazeth Prismari stuff, you're eating a lot of that space. But there, there's some really good synergies that Galazeth has in standard right now, like Gilded Goose comes to mind as a way to really up your mana production. Maze Mind Tome is one I've been messing with for a more controlling look at this, where you use Maze Mind Tome. And then, you know, you're basically just going Galazeth Prismari into Goldspan Dragon, into Alrin's Epiphany with a bunch of other good support sorceries and instants in the mix. And it, it seems solid to me. You also get value from your adventure creatures because you can play the adventure side of them with Prismari mana. It's just, you, you can't fit it all. And that package of the 12 adventure creatures and Edgewall Innkeeper is so, so hard to outclass. So I've liked the way these decks look, but I'm I'm not 100% sold it really moves the needle all that much. Yeah, it's interesting because you want to play Galazeth with Goldspan, and then you need things to cast off Galazeth. Obviously, you could just cash in the treasures for whatever, but I think you're getting far more value from being able to like play Galazeth and then have a, a miscast or a snakeskin veil or something like that. Uh, and then obviously you have All Runs Epiphany at the top end. I think that basically any deck can play that card fairly reasonably. But yeah, you look at the adventure stuff where it's like Galazeth and Goldspan. Okay, we we could build, is it, right? But then is there a point to doing that without the green? And I, I don't think that there really is. And then, like you said, you just don't have room for all this stuff. And would Galazeth actually help that deck, help its matchups? Does, does the mana actually help all that much as far as like, ooh, you get to play Galazeth and then Adventure or Lovestruck Beast or whatever. It's like, well, you probably already did that already, you know? Right. So Yeah, I, I think you really need to snowball off the mana. And I so the deck I posted did a lot again with Maze Mind Tome and Eureka Moment was the other card I was using to just try and get like this huge basically mana engine going and a way to churn through your deck pretty quickly. Um but again adventures does that for free like you don't need the mana invested to do it there so yeah uh, it, it's a lot it's a lot to overcome just like velomachus and pretty similarly to a lot of the cards on this list it's like this is this is a strong magic card right yep where the hell does it go maybe nowhere who knows possibly belladros wither bloom 5bg 4-4 legendary creature elder dragon flying at the beginning of each upkeep Create a 1-1 black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life, pay 10 life, untap all lands you control, activate only once each turn. Brian, if it's free, it's you. Uh, this this is not quite free. Ten, 10 life is a lot. Like, it's a big investment. It's so funny that, I mean, the obvious thing to do is compare this card to Wilderness Reclamation, where we didn't pay 10 life to untap all the lands we control. And uh, there's other pieces to this card, you know, you get an okay body and a bunch of pest creatures. This is a lot, though. This is a big investment, and I think you can get more for seven mana. I don't see a huge reason to be doing this stuff right now. Well, how about you? Anything excite you about this card? Again, card is strong, right? Looking at seven mana Golgari-type stuff, it's just like, why are you not just playing Ultimatum? Mm-hmm. And... You can look at this like you get to play a pre-ultimatum and get an extra thing, but it's like, do you actually need that, really? And I think the answer is no, but I don't know. Maybe maybe once ultimatum is gone or whatever, like this will be a good top end. You can use the untap to do a lot of stuff, mostly just like try and protect this thing, I think, if you need to. And like you are in green and black, this thing makes pass, which gain you some incidental amount of life. I don't mm-hmm. think it's 
that outlandish to think that you're going to have 10 life to pay when you play this thing. Uh, Maze Mind Tome is like another card that's pretty good at just giving you extra life. So I don't want to look at this like, oh, pay 10 life is, you know, an exorbitant cost. You're never going to get to do this. I do think that you'll get to do it at least once. And that's that's pretty reasonable to me. But again, I just have no idea where this goes. Yeah, sizing feels a little off to me too. Like 4-4 four, four is so small for that mana investment. And I, I don't think it really introduces any new vulnerabilities. Like 4 isn't a breakpoint or anything for the format, but it, it just feels like you should get a little bit more. Like this is obviously a safer version of what this card could be, I think. And I think you could say that about a lot of these cards. Like there's there's a lot of safety valves in place here. I think the more comes from the untap, if you're able to do that. Yeah. I, it, it definitely does, for sure. It just seems like even with that, you could get a bigger body attached. But I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm too used to the Eldraine mode of everything does everything and it's all very cheap. Yeah, or I don't know, maybe underrating Verdant Force. I, I don't know. Yeah, that is an effect that I think we do historically underrate. Like as soon as you end up getting the payoff for that, you know, be it from Coma. Uh, I think that's the main way we get this payoff right now, just constantly getting this fodder. And here the fodder being like pretty good defensive fodder. Like uh, the life gain is not inconsequential when you're trying to stabilize, uh, especially against decks with reach. So shouldn't shouldn't write that off. I agree with you, but I'm not rushing to throw Belladris into any decks. I want to, but there's no reason to. Blade Historian. H-H-H-H, where H is either a red or white mana. So four total mana. All hybrid, 2-3, creature, human, cleric, attacking creatures you control have double strike. Why is the double strike dude a cleric? I can come up with some smart-ass reason to give you, but I honestly don't know. You know that's not my forte. I'm here because this thing gives my creatures double strike. It is a human, which is the more important part of its type. That means that Winota now has access to some kind of double up effect similar to what it was doing in pioneer previously or in historic previously. It's obviously not quite the same, but I, I do think it matters for Winota setups. And there's something to be said for this card in more traditional aggro decks too. Like if you're just a high power aggro deck, I wrote for instance about mono red and you have to give up your, your faceless havens to get to a place where you can cast this reliably, at least Don't some number it. of them. Don't do it. Okay. In the abstract, I agree with you. What about a scenario where all that matters is you just always have it on turn four or turn five, where you're just trying to pump damage as fast as possible? I, I think you can make a good case that Blade Historian is the best possible way to do that, like where you're just straight up racing no interaction. Doing Annex into Blade Historian is about as much damage output as you can ask from your deck. Uh, alongside you know, some Rimrock Knight and a reasonable one-drop, you, you have won the game. And obviously, there's a lot of spots where you do that already with Embercleave, but this is just kind of streamlining your deck as much as possible, making it as lean as possible, and just popping off. The, the other thing I like about Blade Historian, too, is that the white side of this combines super well with Heliod, which is a card that has not made it into standard for the most part. But when it's real easy to get devotion from one card and you're just immediately getting essentially a 10-10, on the turn you play Blade Historian. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I think it is fine in white decks, especially if you're going like a little bit bigger with Heliod. Uh, obviously those decks really want Faceless Haven too, but in red you have Torbrand for like a pretty 
you know, clear comparison where Torbrand plus Faceless Haven almost certainly wins out, right? I think in most scenarios, yes. In Winota, I think this card is awesome because we needed a big human to get, uh, or like a powerful human, I guess. I assumed it was always going to be like a six mana card or something, right. but this right. one is just castable. There's there's like the Lord from Kaldheim, there's uh, Kenrith, there's Hokdos, like all these random things where... If you just draw them, they're pretty bad. But if you draw this, that's it, completely fine. And yeah, like you said, this is just like a double up effect, like Angress Marauders effectively. This is very exciting for that deck. Yeah, th- this is one, I-, I would say this is higher on my range of confidence that this card can actually see some play and do something to the metagame. Uh, this was also in my top five list that I submitted. And I think this was maybe one of the safer inclusions outside of removal spells, which are the safest ones but this this could definitely impact some archetypes and create new archetypes multiple choice x u sorcery if x is one scry one then draw a card if x is two you may choose a player they return a creature they control to its owner's hand if x is three create a four four blue and red elemental creature token if x is four or more do all of the above i like this card i want it to be good this is kind of the story of the set for me it's just like is this actually going to do anything? Doesn't move the needle for me. All the modes are cool. I, I think like you make a very good case that they can all be worth it in the right scenario, which says a lot of a highly modal card that scales up pretty quickly. Like getting your max value out of this at five mana, I, I don't think that's a bad deal. I, I think it's quite good. And you know, if you just showed me this card as a five mana card, I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll try and make a home for this. Maybe I can make it work. So getting the modality is a big deal, but... I, I don't want to keep repeating the same things. In the context of what this format is and is about, I don't think this matters. Sedgemore Witch, 2B, 3-2, Creature, Human, Warlock, Menace, Ward, Pay 3 Life, and Magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-1 one, one black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life. I sense you're getting tired of the amount of words on these cards. <laughs> I long for the day when both like dice triggers are just keyworded as death rattle or whatever. And when you say, instead of create a one, one black and green pest creature token with blah, 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 you can just say make a pest. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of words on a lot of these cards and uh, I get the fatigue. This one though feels solid to me. And I, I, I like ward. I think ward is a really cool adaptation of the hexproof mechanic particularly on this card, which does a lot of different things. It's really cool. It seems like you're going to get a lot of value out of this card in most scenarios. 3-2 Menace is nice against a lot of decks. Getting the 3 damage quasi-guaranteed, quite good. I like that as well. Uh, a little bit of extra value on your instants and sorceries. Never going never gonna to be disappointed with that. But I think you know what I'm about to say. I, I don't know where I'm supposed to do any of this. And at least this is just like I can beat down with black and feel pretty good about it. But there's not a lot of support for doing that in general. Yes. Uh, agree on all counts. This is just another one of those cards. And Magecraft kind of does that to the set, right? Where you have this thing that is a creature and wants you to do things with pests, or at least helps you if you do things with pests, but also wants you to play a bunch of spells a lot of the pest payoffs are also creatures. Obviously, this goes well with adventures, but when I think of like a 
Golgari Adventures deck. I don't really see this card anywhere near it. To kind of top it off, it has Bone Crusher Giant issues, which is, you know, like we talked about with Archmage Emeritus in uh, the cast two weeks ago. It's like, that's not a deal breaker alone, but it's just like yet another strike against a thing like this. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes it much harder to pull that value out of it, for sure. You have to kind of set up around it. And I think this is a card that wants to just do its thing and and not ask for a lot of setup. You just want to be able to play it, get some beats in, and be a little linear in your game plan, unlike something like Archmage, where you do have flexibility as to when you play it, how much value you get out of it. So uh, the the flaw is more damning here, for sure. Yeah, I think you know a lot of people look at this like a young Biromancer type of thing, and I... I like what you're insinuating where you just play this in a black beatdown deck and trigger it a couple times. And that helps you go wide a little bit because, you know, menace is fine. Ward is fine. If you get some extra tokens, cool. Uh, but even then it's just like, is that worth three mana compared to what we normally get out of that deal? And I'm not sure that's true. Agreed. Callous Blood Mage, 2B21 creature, vampire warlock. When this enters the battlefield, choose one, create a pest. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that shortcut. Shortcut you, for the rest of the cast. You draw a card and lose one life. Exile, target player's graveyard. I'm actually shocked that people like this card as much as they do. Me too. Thank I, I had no idea what you were coming in with. I, I was ready for anything. I am also shocked. Like, don't get me wrong, 2011, 2010, I'd be all about this card. Like, oh, yeah. Phyrexian Rager with yes, some more modes. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah, this, this card is not good. And if you just want to leave it at that, I'm fine with it the flexibility does not make up for the fact that you're way overpaying uh, in contrast with current magic standards. Graveyard hate, cool. Exile your own graveyard against rogues. Okay, I'd rather have escape stuff, but whatever. Blink this, maybe. I don't know, three mana is still not great. And then the go wide aspect is not very good. I don't know. This was showing up on people's top five lists and I was confused. I know. I was very surprised. Uh, This does a lot of things very poorly. Expressive iteration. You are sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one into your hand, one on the bottom, and exile one of them. You may play the exiled card this turn. I assume this is a card that you had to Google. No, no. I, so I, I was aware of this card. I, I may have forgotten the name and actually Googled it, though, when, when you sent it to me. But I okay. have had this on my radar for a little while. It's a good, solid draw, too. I mean, you had it as your number one card, so why don't I let you give your spiel on this? Is it a you really believe in this card, or is it a number one by default? Uh, <laughs> so I do believe in it, but like in a normal set, I would be like slam dunk number one, right? But in in yeah, it is by default kind of in this set, but I do believe right. in it. I, I will say, though, that when I have been building decks for the last week, I think up until last night when I finished my article that had a lot of copies of these cards for expressive iteration and emergent sequence i could never remember the name so i was just putting like ur and one g okay instead of the names so yeah if you remember the card but had to google it because of the name i totally get that yeah emergent sequence is another one where i always forget what we're talking about and i just call it rampant growth but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit we will get to that this this card is nice so when of one mind was previewed i was like okay this has the potential to be super good and I am surprised that people actually started putting it in their decks. Like, I think it first started showing up in Legacy with Delver and Young Pyromancer and stuff like that. And that made me super happy because obviously one mana draw two cards, quite good, quite strong. And then for 
standard. I, I kept trying to make it work with like Joel Rail and mm-hmm. uh, Edgewell Innkeeper and stuff, but there were always like better things to do, more powerful things to do. You had Clover and Escape the Wilds. You didn't really run out of cards. You don't really need like this small ball card draw thing. And then all the cards got banned. Rogue starts seeing play. It ends up becoming like this weird half mill, half beat down Luris deck where like half your creatures are humans, half aren't. People start putting of one mind in, in their decks and made me super happy. The card is very good. If you've played rogues at all, especially without the card, you understand the difference of like trying to have velocity and make your land drop, spend your man every turn, trying to get to into the story, but not be completely reliant on into the story. And of one mind just like solves all of those problems. And that is a long winded explanation of me saying, I think that this card is going to solve a lot of similar problems. Access to a draw two to be able to move through more of your deck. Very, very important. I think that I am inclined to see the downside of this card when you start talking about it as like the the number one card in the set. But that's not to say I don't think this is a playable card or even I don't think this is a good card. It's just it, it has some flaws that I don't think are readily apparent. I think it's harder to use to its maximum potential than people believe it is. And a lot of what people are using to kind of talk themselves out of the restriction here was just, oh, you make your land drop. And sure, I, I, that's great. I, I think that's a really good way to always get paid on this. The issue is, though, unless you're using that one mana, then you only play Divination. And that's fine. Divination matters in a bunch of decks. So, And obviously, it's it's not Divination anymore when you get to the late game. That's, that's all great. That's all fine. And it's a really good reason why this card should see some homes. Well, I don't want to play large numbers in most existing teamer decks. Uh, when I was like building around Galazeth, I... I split on your advice which i think was pretty good advice actually uh where i was playing like originally four maze mind tomes and i eventually shifted to play three maze mind tomes and two expressive iterations which i i think that deck will benefit from yep and I'm, fi- I'm fine with those numbers yeah there's there's other spots where i feel that way too but this card did get a lot better for me when i started thinking okay it's hard to play for this card. It won't always give me what I want. But there's a lot of spots where just like of one mind, I am interested in one or two copies as just a way to keep momentum going and bridge me to the late game, make sure I always do hit that third land drop and never miss. All those things matter. Uh, so I, I don't know what my tone is that I'm striking here. Like I, I am somewhat disagreeing with you, but not strongly because I think this card is good. It's just so strange to see it as number one card. And then I say that and I acknowledge that my number one card might see no play whatsoever. So I, I don't really know what you're supposed to do here. Find me a card in this set with no flaws. Yeah, it's not possible. It's it's like one of the removal spells for sure, right? But other than that, so this card... You're looking at it like, oh, if you don't use the one mana, it's a divination. Maybe you get a tap land off it. So that kind of saves you a mana that you would have had to spend at some other point. It's also divination that's a a split card impulse or telling time, however you want to look at it. And I think that that flexibility is nice. Like if you need to hit your third land and you're digging on turn two, cool. When you are putting this into your decks, I think that you need to be aware of your mana curve. Like, obviously, if you just have a bunch of five mana cards, yeah, it's going to be divination a lot of the time, right? Because you're not going to be able to play this and a follow-up. And in the very late game, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to be able to, like, play this and another spell on the same turn. But when you're talking about, like, Edgewall Innkeeper, Lovestruck Beast, uh, maybe playing, like, 
Jasper Sentinel 2. You have all of these potentially cheap cards and ways to spend that backup mana where I think this card just starts looking really good. And yeah, maybe it's not a four of. I had it as a four of in some of my decks that were like hardcore ramping with Dryad of the Elysian Grove and stuff like that. And I think it's, you know, just trivial at that point. But yeah, yeah there, there are definitely a lot of instances where you, if you have a high mana curve, this deck is, or this card is probably not a four of, but I mean, of one mind is not really a four of either. So, Sure. Uh, what do you think about this card's potential in older formats? Maybe, I don't know. Like, it is like two mana in modern, for example, is a pretty big ask, honestly. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, obviously, you have things like Mishra's Bobble, where if you don't want to get a land, like, yes, you can do this and hit a land, and it's divination if you can't play a spell in the follow up or whatever. But, like, what if you have a bunch of lands already and it's like turn five and you're flooded? You know, like, obviously, you want to hit a spell off it. You don't want to hit another land at that point. But in modern, you know, there's like some free spells, Mishra's Bobble, um, whatever. There's like a lot of different things that you could do with this. So mm-hmm. it's possible. Uh, I guess like, you know, Prowess could maybe do this as a bad light up the stage kind of thing. Yeah. I, so I think there's there's two things that are happening when you go back to like, say, modern with this card is it becomes easier to get that immediate value out of it without just taking a land because the spells are all cheaper. So it's more apt that you just are able to use that one mana in a lot of scenarios. And that makes it quite a bit better. The other thing is it's competing with way better cards and drawing two for two mana isn't unheard of in modern. Like there's, there's ways to do that right now. You mentioned light up the stage is a, a very effective one. Charter course uh, has been close to charter course. There's even things like sign and blood that are out there that see no play. I mean, obviously, there's color restrictions there, but uh, Nice Whisper is is also available, and that's he's almost no play. So it's a little bit seen a little bit of play. Okay, so so it's it's possible to do these things already. This might be more hoops, and it is color restrictive. So yep. I don't think it's going to make it in modern, except in rare occasions. That's kind of my read on this one. Just you'll you'll see it here and there, but it it doesn't do a lot to move the needle again for me. Yeah, I think Blue Rip Prowess and. I don't know, the, the lands type of shell always, it makes it seem like this card could be good there, but the lands shell in modern is amulet. And it's like, this card doesn't go in amulet. So right. Right. I think prowess, maybe it is possible. And again, it's probably like a two of there. You, you don't want to overload on these things for sure. We'll see. We'll see how much this gets distributed into these decks. Jadzi, Oracle of Arcavios. Six UU, five, five, legendary creature, human wizard. Discard a card, return this to its owner's hand. Magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a non-land card, you may cast it by paying one rather than paying its mana cost. If it's a land, put it onto the battlefield. You, you, want, you want to do the rest or are we just skipping that part of it? Uh, it's not. It technically has a backside. Okay. I like that. That's where you fall on that because I also am not super interested in the backside. Uh, basically, you get to put a bunch of lands from your hand into play and okay. a little bit extra. Journey to the Oracle. 2GG Sorcery. You may put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Then if you control eight or more lands, you may discard a card. If you do, return this to your owner's hand. So in theory, you could like play this on turn four, put in a bunch of lands, and then still have Jadzi ready to go next turn. Cool in theory. In practice, probably not likely to happen. Okay, so the appeal here is that you play Jadzi and you win the game. 
that that's basically what you're trying to do. Otherwise, you're you're not interested in this. That, so okay. I I wrote my article on this, and that's what I was trying to do. Whether or not I succeeded, eh, I don't know. The other problem I have with that is, can't you kind of just do that for seven mana right now, and in multiple ways? So why am I doing it for eight mana when there's a vulnerability, and also you sort of really want to get an untap to completely go off with it? Because there are a lot of ways to do it for seven mana. Okay. Like you can turn Timber Symbiosis. You can Genesis Ultimatum. You can okay, Castle Okay, so you're, you're, looking, you're looking to cheat a little bit here. And, yeah, a little bit. Okay. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to cast this for eight mana without like ramping or whatever. I also had a, a Transmogrify deck. I had a Port okay. of Carfell deck. Transmogrify is super interesting. And I, I think like finding another good Transmogrify target could be worth a lot. It's something that's sort of missing at this moment. We, you know, we mentioned Velimachus. That's something you can do. And we've seen people just go ahead and dream trawl is one way to do it. Uh, Coma. Coma's good. Coma's another one. Yeah. So the the more we're able to alter that package, the more I believe in setting that up. And it's a little bit easier to get to the point where you just put this on the battlefield and win on the spot, I think, when you're transmogrifying it. I mean, what kind of chains were you looking to do? I'm assuming, are you still trying to like epiphany and take multiple turns or what, what really is the setup here? Yeah. So the thing that is not apparent with this card is that when you magecraft into a spell and you cast it for one, you're also triggering magecraft again. Yeah. It triggers again. So that is the main thing in my mind that makes this card appealing. You start seeing turns where you could like really go off if you hit a chain of spells and if you're if you're not hitting spells, then you're hitting lands to maybe like cast more spells from your hand if you have cheap things. Yeah. And if you are playing a bunch of DFCs that are spells that also count as lands for you ramping and stuff, it's like you get to play a pretty high spell count in your deck still. So I think that it is not that wild to think that you could have some really big turns with this card and Allrun's Epiphany is at the, the center of all of them, right? Where it's like you might go off and do a bunch of stuff on the first turn you get to untap with this, but you're not really locking it up. But I assume that if you own Owen's Epiphany, you're going to be able to win the game on the turn after. Yeah, I think that's a good assumption. Uh, again, I think there's a lot of decks that can say that, and you can emerge an ultimatum and, and do it that way, and uh, you can Genesis ultimatum and do some stuff that way. So for the fact that this is blue too, I think you you have to consider that, you know, when you're trying to play an eight mana spell and you're going to run into some mystical disputes, that's a little scary. Yep. But I agree with you in terms of like output on this card is just ridiculous. Like what it does when it enters the battlefield can be quite silly. I think I would have had to get a little bit more from the backside before I was pushed to build around it. And the backside was interesting to me because like it, it sort of makes me think of Nahiri's lithomancing setups where I was just playing like <laughs> ludicrous land counts. I, and, dude, I tried to get lithomancy in one of my decks so hard. Yeah, you, you can kind of do it here, sort of, kind of, sort of, but it's it's just asking for a lot to go right. And I, I know the problem with those decks is they need too many things to go right. And I think this is asking for the exact same things where you're just getting to this late state and trying to do something that you probably could have done a turn earlier with a slightly diminished efficiency but the fact that you're doing it a turn earlier and can like not build your entire deck around it is a huge plus yeah the the deck i had that was trying to actually cast the backside potentially was like 34 lands or something Mm -hmm. uh granted a lot of those were dfcs you'd have to like play your dfcs out first and then cast this card right yeah it doesn't work that way unfortunately but 
there's a lot of redundancy with Dryad and Azusa and things like that. And then it was like, okay, I make, I, I'll play Dryad, Azusa, or this card, make a bunch of land drops. It's unlikely that everything works out where it's like you have eight lands, you have a card to discard, you can replay Jadzi and still have like a Magecraft trigger and hope to go off from there. I was like, I, I don't think that that will necessarily work all the time. So you need some way to gas up. And uh, I think Ox of Agonis is the best one to do it because okay. you're constantly emptying your hand, which kind of sucks because you're not really putting cards in your graveyard a lot of the time. But things like uh, Emergent Sequence, which I guess we should have talked about earlier because we mentioned it a few times, but... Uh, it's, it's a card that like puts a card in your graveyard and makes a land. The land is probably going to die because it's just a 1-1. So things like that and expressive iteration are giving you multiple pieces of cardboard to actually work with. So maybe you can get more cards in your graveyard that way. But yeah, it seems seems kind of like a tall order. I'm looking forward to puzzling it out. And that's the thing about all these cards. They're so interesting and they're, they are fun to build around and like try and get them to work. I just, whereas usually I'm the optimist and being like, oh, I, I figured this out. I'm going to make this interesting this time. But they, they just don't push hard enough to make me into an optimist. They've instead left me a pessimist for this set. Yeah, normally I am, I'm fairly optimistic with a lot of these cards and there's a lot of them. And in this one, it's like everything's just like a, a touch on the weak side or like doesn't have quite a, a, enough of a splashy appeal or something where it's like, I actively want to try and do this thing. Yeah. And, or I, I feel like I'm going to get paid off if I do this thing. Jadzi is close enough where it's like, Oh yeah, clearly you're going to be taking a lot of game actions and a lot of weird stuff is going to happen and that's going to be fun. But it, it also has the problem of, you know, mystical dispute and all the other seven and eight mana cards also being game winners. So I'm still just like, eh, what am I, what am I supposed to want to do with this set? Hopefully we figure it out. Mila, Crafty Companion. One, dub, dub, two, three. Legendary Creature Fox. Whenever an opponent attacks one or more Planeswalkers you control, put a loyalty counter on each Planeswalker you control. Whenever a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. And this card has a backside that I'll actually read. Luca Wayward Bonder. 4RR, Loyalty 5. Planeswalker Luca, plus one, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. If a creature card was discarded this way, draw two cards instead. Minus two, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of your next upkeep. Minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, deals damage equal to its power to any target. What are we doing with this card? There's there's a lot of interesting text here. It all sounds okay-ish like every exactly. single exactly. every single bit of text on this card sounds okay so exactly yeah. okay that's that's deece do the kids still say deece probably not. i think so yeah i think the kids are still saying that it, i haven't heard andrew brown say it in a long time <laughs> that's how you that's how you identify what the kids are saying no no that's just a separate anecdote uh, okay so yeah, I, I think you need a better a better canary in the coal mine than that Agreed. Uh, Mila, as a three mana two three, that's also a Shaper's Sanctuary, I think is okay. It's not great. People tend to trick themselves into playing these effects far more often than they should. And especially this at three mana is not great because if your first two things got killed and then you play this, well, they might be out of removal spells and you don't have any pressure. So, like, wh what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. And then the, the top half with the Planeswalker stuff, it's like, okay, that's trinket text. Luca's got like some reanimator vibes, which is kind of cool, but also not that good. So, yeah, it, it does the thing. It just 
doesn't do it that well. It, it's in the Velomachus lore hold colors. So like getting immediate payoff from that is interesting. Like maybe I'll try and do something with transmogrifying this, but that, uh, that just doesn't sound good to me. Like your, your break point for the transmogrif, you, like, you have to do it like the team or transmogrified decks have done it, right? Where you just have like three mana cards and then you have Velomachus at seven as opposed to coma. Yeah, but you can't, I mean, you can do that if you have all three mana creatures, but right. if you're playing any sort of token maker, then it's just all out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's generally what their setup looks like. And they, they lean on Bone Crusher Giant and the like. And I'm trying to think if we have a three mana equivalent. Uh, you could do like Redain type stuff where you're still getting a lot of value out of your three drop. I don't know. I mean, I'll build the deck. I'm not telling you I'm excited about it and thinking it'll actually do something because now you're contrasting all these creatures that you're playing to like trigger your transmogrify with the fact that you want instants and sorceries to actually get paid on your Velimachus. So you have to balance that out. And I, I don't know. It's a lot of balls to juggle and none of them really seem all that powerful. Yes. Tempted by the Auric. One UUU, four mana total. Sorcery for each opponent, gain control of up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls with mana value three or less. I think this is a useful tool. Uh, I think you're higher on it than I am. I, I just see it as a way to like, there's often matchups that want access to this effect. I think three blue in this format is a big ask when you're doing pathway mana bases. It's hard to get to that place. But still, somebody's going to want this. It's going to be an important card, probably in post-sideboard games, which is a lot more than I can say for the vast majority <laughs> of things in this set. So if, if it's doing that one job, I'm cool with it. And I think this card is worth highlighting because people do historically undervalue this effect. There have been periods where Low Mage's Domination and the Akron War have creeped into main decks. We're, we're kind of at that point right now, actually. And I think for non-rogue decks, this is a completely fine card to turn to. I guess like non-rogue, probably non-red decks, which is a, a weird split or whatever. But as far as the mana base is concerned, like you can obviously build around that. You can slant slightly higher blue if you want to. The problem is all these decks are like, triple double right it's like a a b b c c and just you know try and cut that part out of the equation and your mana will be a lot better in theory you can play the snarls i would not recommend it unless you're playing two colors yeah the the only spot i really love snarl is in boros decks i think it makes boros quite a bit better uh because a lot of the boros decks are either like hard red splash white or hard white splash red and i think the snarls are really good in that spot but otherwise, I've mostly excluded them from my mana bases. Yep, same. It, it is weird to get a cycle of dual lands and be like, yep, these are unplayable, but... Yeah. Well, it is, it, is what it they is. Do a, they do an important job, though. Like, making those specific mana bases better, I, I think, is good for the format. And I, I like that Boros gets a little boost. It's just weird that that's really the only time I've reached for these lands at all is in building Boros decks. Yeah, but I'm sure after rotation, you know, no Triumphs, no three-color decks, whatever, then you'll probably look at these a little bit more. Sure, yeah. Elite Spellbinder, 2-dub, 3-1, a creature, human, cleric, yet another cleric. Hmm. Flying. When this enters the battlefield, look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. A spell cast this way costs two more to cast. Card is really good. I like this way of doing things for white. I think it's a really cool effect to give white access to. It's kind of like taxing, but also disruption. Uh, it's pretty a, a pretty exciting path for white to go down and, and start exploring. Redain 
exists. And I, I think it occupies a lot of the same space that this card would otherwise occupy. I'm not saying I won't play this card. And a lot of times I think like you can make a good case to play both. And this is probably better than Redain in older formats, which is where I see it having more of an impact. But I, I'd like this card. I just don't think it's making my main deck most of the time in, in any white deck I'm building. I think three power is good. It not being legendary is good, which might mean that you end up playing a mix of Redain in this, like like you mentioned. Uh, the, this this still works even if it dies, which I really like because that was always the sweat against Ultimatum where you you play Redain and then you're just like, well, I hope that my one drop protection creature works or whatever. Like you're, you're normally just, you play it and you just pray that it lives. Whereas this, you're just like, whatever, you know, like you have to kill all my stuff anyway. I'm still getting the the taxing effect from it no matter what. And that makes me want to consider it a little bit more. I mean, making their seven drop always costs nine. That, that's a big deal. You've actually changed the entire texture of the game. And I, I believe it will have an impact on the format because of that ability. It, it's, again, a very medium version of the effect. Like, it, it's very cool. I'm happy it's there. It's just, if this was three sets ago, you feel like this would have been pushed the freaking moon like it would have done it would have cost three more to unpack it or you know it would have had it would have just been a three three and been very safe from bone crusher giant or something preposterous like that no because they wouldn't have wanted you to use this against like reclamation or fires or any of that stuff (laughs) sure sure professor of symbology one dub two one creature core cleric when this enters the battlefield learn i am do, do i need to read learn no, I think everyone knows what's going on with Learn at this yes. point. Nice. And, uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing that much of it. I, I'm going to applaud them for how they balance this mechanic. I think this mechanic, mechanic is interesting. I think there are spots where I do still want to play Professor of Symbology, and I think it's quite a good card, but it's also, safe. Also a cleric. Also a cleric, yeah. A lot of clerics in this set. But it all feels safe to me, and I think that's the right approach to do something like this, because otherwise you would have had some very, very similar-looking games playing out in the same fashion over and over as you just played your learned creature, got the same spell all the time, never missed your next land drop, so on and so forth. I like that Professor of Symbology can still do some of that stuff. Uh, I worked mostly on Devotion decks this week, and I had a weird-looking one where it was Heliod and the black-white for hybrid enchantment, the name of which I can't remember, but it gives creature tokens plus one, plus one. I was playing it alongside Professor of Symbology, which does a really good job of getting you creature tokens for some reason. Uh, I don't know why that's what it's focused (laughs) on, but it it does that. And then there's also like life gain, so you can exploit your Heliod. That was in the form of environmental sciences, which I think is like the most important of the lessons. It's just a way to always make sure you're finding that third land in desperate situations. So works as kind of a bailout clause on these creatures. I don't think that's enough to push these into the realm of like widely played format pillars but it's just enough to make me interested in them and i'm going to applaud them for taking a reserved approach to what could be a very problematic and oppressive mechanic it's it's what they should have done with the companions like you play this type of stuff very safe when you're in the realm of preventing recursive game states and removing variants from the game a la once upon a time you have to do it very safely and this is good evidence to me that they're starting to learn that lesson was was that a pun no but now it is. Like all my puns, it came unintentionally, as I keep telling you. And I know you don't believe me. but I don't believe you. Okay, that's fine. You do this to torment me. So this was one of the first cards previewed. And 
then some of the lessons got previewed and it's like, oh, okay, you get like an actual piece of cardboard from this, from a, a two mana two one. Like that is really strong and really powerful. And then as the, the set continued to get previewed more and more, I'm just like looking for more decent learn creatures or learn spells or in good lessons and stuff. Like, and it just never came. It was just nope. like, they, this was just the only good card really. So to that end, yes, I agree with you. They, they played it really safe. But when I was trying to build decks, I was disappointed. But then eventually I was relieved. Yeah, I, I understand the gamut of emotions you ran through. You want everything to be cool and worth building around. But uh, some things it's just better not to open Pandora's box. And I, I am happy with where the lessons fell for sure. Emergent Sequence, 1G Sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, tapped, and then shuffle. I I read this the, for the first time. I'm just like, wait, what? One green, right? And then uh, that land becomes a 0-0 zero, zero, green and blue fractal creature token. It's still a land. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it. For each land you had, enter the battlefield under your control this turn. Mm-hmm. There, There's the catch. Little, little vulnerable for that land, but I think that's okay. This is just like your two mana mana creature it's yeah, still it's, a role that we've done a, before it's aquarian elves who cares right it's yeah. it's completely fine completely reasonable they they gave me a mild heart attack when i thought it was ramping just growth. ramping growth yeah but <laughs> no, not quite that good but no this is this is like a very clever way to fix that right because it's, it's it's a mana creature and that it's a fancy mana creature but it's like a mana creature that triggers magecraft so cool yep. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a very cool card. I also like, I don't think this is a huge part of the card, but I like that it has potential upside situations. Like yeah. if for some reason you have put four lands onto the battlefield in a turn and this is your last spell, you've, you've made a valid threat, which is not something you can usually do from your pure ramp spell. And I don't think that's going to come up a lot, but do I think like Fabled Passage make a 3-3 is going to come up? Sure. And that could be a real difference maker that blocks bone crusher giant. It doesn't die to bone crusher giant. So that could be quite important in some scenarios. And I think it doesn't, it doesn't make up for the weakness, but it makes the card very interesting as a whole, which I really appreciate when we're looking at this type of effect. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think that certainly in some of the decks that I built where you have dried of the Elysian Grove and Fable Passage, you could see it being like a, a pretty reasonable card, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it's also kind of awkward where, Decks like that are not necessarily taking advantage of the additional pressure or whatever, but like, yeah, you get a blocker, so whatever. Uh, this could also, I know people are very desperate for these updates. This could be like your kill card in Nahiri's Lithoforming, too. If you just put 20 lands onto the battlefield in the turn, just use this. You make a 20-20. Get them next turn. Do you have a way to haste, or are you Kazul's Furying? Well, Kazul's Fury. That's fine. Okay. I like it. I mean, it works. Look, I'm not telling anyone to play this deck anymore. That's not where I'm at with it. But people are still very interested in it and ask me about it all the time. And like, I think this probably matters a little bit in that deck. Mavinda, Students Advocate, 2-dub, two 2-3, two Legendary Creature, Bird Advisor, Flying, 0, weird templating. You may cast, target, instant, or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that spell doesn't target a creature you control, it costs eight more to cast this way. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile instead, activate only once each turn. All right, look. I like the condition that they put on this card. I like that it is an option that you could just cast any spell, but it's going to be really hard to get to that point. But how do you think they came to the number eight? Did they just roll a die? I think it was just like 
you you have to make it so exorbitant, but like make it so they can still think about a potential scenario. You know, it's clearly that eight is not like you're flooded out in limited, but now this card is good because eight is still you're you're more than halfway through the game or through your library at that point, right? So it's it's very unlikely that you actually use that in limited. Some things to consider are like training grounds where yeah. maybe you just need the number super high so that this doesn't get busted in okay. older formats, uh, which which I get. I've I've built some training grounds decks in my day, so yeah, I've seen them. Okay, that that's a, that's a good catch. I don't know if I would have thought of that. Um, or wait, no, that doesn't even matter because zero is the activated, right? Yeah, it just costs eight. More. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So we got we got nothing then. <laughs> that's it. What about cost reductions? Like just general cost reduction? Would that still apply? Uh, if you had like Rowan and stuff, yeah. Yeah. There's probably not enough of that to get that to a reasonable place. I wonder but... if there is a training grounds type of thing for something like this. I guess it is just like medallion effects, but. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about what this card actually does as opposed to worrying about what okay. it's uh, not supposed to be doing. Basically, I think that they wanted you to be able to live the dream, but not make it be a focal point of the card. Okay. Do you think that doesn't happen at seven? I don't know, man. I, I think it's more, <laughs> I mean, that's my problem with it. It's, it's more, like, it feels it's like more, all those numbers work. It's more palatable at seven, right? Yeah. It, it, once, once you go from like six to seven to eight, it's not just one mana more, right? It, it is kind of exponential. Yeah. It's, it's it, so much more work. It was just so shocking to me to see that number on the card. I, I don't know how you end up there. I don't, I'm not even saying it's wrong. Like it's, it's fine. It's a fine number. I just don't know how that's the number you arrive at. But I like this card for when I'm not paying eight. It feels a lot like Feather. And I kind of wanted to talk about this in conjunction with a couple other cards that we have on our list, if that's cool. Uh, go go ahead, because I don't particularly care for this, so I'll just take a break. Okay, you, you check out. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know the name of the cards. Are they actually present on our list? Clever Lumamancer. Thank you. That's Lu- the first one. Lunamancer? Lumamancer? Is it's, it- it's Lumamancer. I actually <laughs> learned this prior to the cast because I knew this was one I would have messed up a hundred. I want to I say Luminancer for sure. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's Lumamancer. And I, I know that. It is a fact I can share with you and I'm proud of it. I wanted to start with L-U-M um, because of like light. Right. But yeah, then, yeah. yeah, you don't want to follow it up with a Mancer because that just doesn't. Yeah. So I want to say Luminancer. It's a very strange word. I anyway, uh, there's also your your ground rift. Yeah. What's that card called? Why can't I find it? Right. I, now? Don't, I didn't write it down. I didn't want to talk about it. I know. I, I know. I wrote it in my text to you. Hold on. I'm going to pull out my phone and then we will look at it there. Show of confidence. Thank you. Show of confidence. OK. Even if I agree that these cards are not that good. Show of Confidence basically has Storm. It is very challenging to make a card that has Storm that doesn't matter in some way. See Ground Rift, and which is not a good magic card whatsoever. But when you copy it a bunch, Busted it does Busted magic stuff. card. Busted magic card. Yeah, I mean, like, kind of. It, it sort of is. Anything with Storm is a little bit busted. And this is as close, I think, as you're ever going to get to seeing Storm in Standard again. Uh, it works really well with Clever... Lumamancer. Uh, when you combine this stuff with Mavinda, it's it sort of looks like a real deck to me. I posted something on Twitter that I thought looked solid-ish. I there's some changes you could make for sure, and some numbers that need to be adjusted, and some cards that people proposed to me that I actually thought were pretty good adaptations. So I, I will say that your your deck looked 
looked solid to the point where I thought that someone could could tune it and have it be decent, and then I would pick it up at that point. But I didn't want to look through all the really bad, like white one and two mana cards to try and figure it out. Maybe I should just go through your Twitter thread. It feels like the internet did it for me. Yeah, the internet looked at a lot of them, and a lot of them made sense to me. It is certainly fragile and asks the format to be about some specific things, and you're playing a lot of things that have Bone Crusher Giant problems, but it does feel closer to like a real new archetype than most other things I have looked at at this point. And I just believe that Storm is a near-impossible mechanic to balance. So it's pretty easy to set up turn four kills with the list I was looking at when you have clever Lumamancer and a bunch of like one drop stuff. There's also the two drop Magecraft creature, which gives all of your creatures plus plus one plus one plus one. So if you go like turn one Lumamancer, turn two that, and then turns three and four are doing any type of pump effect, and you know you could do turn four Defiant Strike, Ground Rift, and then do this thing where you now storm off and you get uh, three copies, and your Lumamancer is plus 10-10, I think, total, and plus 5-5 five, five being given from your two-drop, and all of that stuff is trampling. I-, I think you've won the game at that point. Like You should pretty easily be able to kill, and that's a lot of cards to put together, but they're redundant. They're, they're cards that there's multiple effects of. There's Defiant Strike, there's Crash Through, all that stuff cycles. You see more cards, and you get a little bit of backup uh, when you add Mavinda into it, or you could just do like, you only need one of those cards, right? You ground rift, ground rift again, and then cast this storm effect and are able to go off. So I I buy it a little bit. I do think a lot of things have to go right for this to be part of the format, but it's closer than most of the other stuff we're talking about here. And that's all you have to do to be on our show today. So congratulations. You made the <laughs> cut. Uh, so a couple of things. I think it is funny that there are certain archetypes that people just don't even try to build or care about until it becomes a thing. And Mm. then it just becomes part of the zeitgeist. And then people are always trying to recreate it. So like, this is, this is heroic vibes Yep, uh, for a lot of it. Right. And, you know, before heroic was a thing, I don't think people would have been interested in building decks like that, but now they're, they're always just trying to like chase that dragon again, which is funny to me, but Yeah, Feather, I guess, is another good example where maybe if Heroic didn't come before Feather, people wouldn't have cared about Feather, right? Maybe, maybe. It's a good possibility. So this deck is interesting because a lot of the cards exist. I I don't see, like, okay, we have eight good one drops and eight good two drops. It's like you have one great thing at each point on the curve, and then the rest you kind of have to fill in, and that leaves me a little bit skeptical when you have things like Lumamancer. Well done. It, it still feels like I said it wrong. When you have things like that, like these one mana cards that are so threatening that they must be Bone Rusher Gianted, like you're winning on that exchange, right? You're trading one mana for two mana, obviously a great deal. If you have multiple of these things, which means that they have to like Bone Crusher them all, then you're you're also getting ahead in that exchange because they just a lot of these decks don't play that much removal. And unfortunately, we don't have as many of these things as I would like, which is kind of the problem. Yeah, I was looking to cheat through that by just playing a lot of card draw. So I, I did have like Showdown on the Skulls. The other thing you could do, though, is just play Luris if you stop it, too. I think you just don't have enough. That, yeah, but then like, you can't play Mavinda, right? Like, you could just play Luris in the deck, which I think is fine. Okay, yeah, that's that's an interesting option. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think there's ways to build a lot of card advantage into these archetypes right now, which aren't usually there. And you can, if you can be explosive and have just that little bit of resiliency, that's sometimes all a deck like this needs. Yeah. Anything else about your heroic Nymagus Elemental Feather Storm deck? No, that's that's the extent of it. I I am not over the moon about it, but it is uh, something that it, it's going to be one of the first decks I play when Arena finally releases the set. I'll say that. It is powerful, so therefore it is worth looking into the end. Yep. Unwilling Ingredient, B, 1-1, Creature, Frog, Menace, 2-B, Exile this from your graveyard, you draw a card and lose one life. This is the correct way that Foulmire Knight should have worked. Hmm. You, That's an you, you interesting want to, take on this card. You want to play the creature first and then draw a card later. You know how many games I was like kind of flooded and knew that if I cast my Foulmire Knight, even if I was getting beaten down, that I was just going to lose, right? Yeah. Or like you're, you're just so encouraged to hold on to Foulmire Knight when a lot of the times you need the 1-1 one, one death touch thing. And I, just, I felt that tension, which I guess is kind of interesting, right? But at the same time, this is just so easy. If only this had death touch, and then you would be so happily trading it off. Yeah, but I, if it had if it had death touch, like it, it would just be a generally good card. Instead, this is like okay, fine, mono black card. Maybe you have ways to pump your creatures. There's demonic embrace still, and then this gives yep. you a little bit of staying power going into the mid and late game. This card is awesome. It's, it's unique. It's a very unique card. Uh, one that I have seen actual zero people mention up until this point, which is the reason I wanted to talk about it. I also think if you want to start talking about like broken applications, this is probably good enough for Dredge. Like, don't forget that they lost access to Faithless Looting in Modern. So having something you can get another Dredge trigger from the graveyard with is a big deal. And then if you go all the way back to Legacy, I don't know if anyone actually plays Legacy Dredge anymore, but when you have Lion's Eye Diamond to combine with it, you know what the games are like when you're able to get value from your Lion's Eye Diamond versus the ones you can't. And obviously you want a Faithless Looting, but like, extra faithless looting in your deck could be a really big deal. So. Well, there's deep analysis already. This is kind of a split card where it's a black creature that you can exile the Icarids. So that's cool. Yeah, it also works with uh, Cabal Therapy, which is important. Yeah. In modern, I will say that this probably would have been important post-looting pre-Aux of Agonis. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair take. Because now they actually have enough things to do. But yeah, I mean... Being able to draw a card out of, out of your graveyard with, with Dredge was the dream. It is what you wanted. You know, the, the OG decks played uh, Deep Analysis for that reason. And there was uh, a period where, like, you, you didn't have great ways to do that, you know? So yeah. I, I don't know if this holds up to the things that we have now, but it is it is good. It's a good card. It does a bunch of stuff. It's a fine role player. If you want Sacrifice Fodder, if you want to pump this thing, it kind of does it all. There's also the other black one drop that's a 1-1 flyer that when it dies, you learn, which is another yep. one of the things where I was just like, oh, you know, maybe there'll be more learned things. It'll be great, but that nope. didn't really pan out. So I Swing like this one a lot more. Yeah, I agree with you. Eureka Moment, 2GU, instant, draw two cards. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. I think this card's okay. Kind of hate it. Yeah, it'll see play. Like there's there's big things to ramp to in these colors. Like you're trying to get to immersion ultimatum. Is it better than what is it? What's why can't I think of the name of the card? I've played it ten billion times. Multiverse. Something about multiverses. Help me. Behold the multiverse. Thank you. 
behold the multiverse. God, I hate being old. Why don't why do I even wake up in the morning? It's just exhausting. It's so hard. <laughs> anyway, play this card in some scenarios instead of behold the multiverse. And I, I think you'll be happy with it. You might split in a few cases. And I've used this a bit. Uh, I mentioned in my Galazeth Prismari deck, this was something I was interested in as a way to keep that chain going and a way to get up to my six or seven mana for Alvin's Epiphany. So I think it has uses. Uh, it is going to be outshined a little bit by Behold the Multiverse, but uh, I'm sure it'll make some of my decks. Now that people have played with Behold the Multiverse, when you see like Glimmer of Genius or Eureka Moment compared to a card that does a functionally similar thing, but you can split up the cost. Like you see the difference that makes, right? Sure. You just like feel it where if that, if that card was like four mana, it would just, you know, be rotting in your hand because you're forced to be doing other things or whatever. And it's not that I feel like this is another version of those cards because like it, it also does ramp you. So maybe you get to double or triple spell on the next turn, or maybe the land that you get to put on in the battlefield means that you can cast a removal spell or something too. So like this feels better than those, but it just, when you have behold the multiverse available to you, I can't really see playing this before that. I think that there are going to be some instances and I've, you know, I've had this card. I've been thinking about it and trying to put it in my decks and just tuning and thinking about the decks at the end. I always end up cutting this card always. And I don't intend to, it's always on my like maybe list. Right. So it's it's weird. I would be shocked if this saw like a lot of play. Yeah, I, I think the same way you feel the difference between splitting the cost of Behold the Multiverse, you're going to have to play this in a deck where you feel the difference of getting to your mana breakpoint a yes. turn earlier. Yeah. And, you know, does that deck exist? I think Merger Ultimatum is a good case for that. And that is, that's the whole kit and caboodle. You're trying to get to that spot. And the fact that you have some uh, two-drop accelerants, so you're able to do this on turn three, you're you just got a good chain going, a, a good fluidity to your deck. And like I use this in my teamer deck alongside of Emergent Sequence. So I just had multiple ways to get to the spot where I was playing this on turn three and really get that snowball going. If you're not doing that, I'm 100% with you. Behold the Multiverse is a abstractly better card, but I do think this can have uses. I think it has uses too. Uh, I just find it hard to believe that when those decks are trying to you know, kill a bunch of stuff, get seven lands, get an ultimatum. They need a bunch of resources. They're still not maxing on Behold the Multiverse because of how slow it is. Yeah. That I find it hard to believe that Eureka Moment will make the cut, but we'll see. Yeah, maybe it has to be something else. Maybe it's uh, reinvigorating Genesis Ultimatum for some reason, or, you know, it's an important card alongside Velomachus Lorehold to find. There's there's other spots where this could potentially shine, even if it's not True. alongside Emergent Ultimatum. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, one of the, one of the decks I built was a Titan's Nest Jadzi deck. And I wanted to put that card in that deck, but it didn't make okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Damagoth Titan. Damagoth? I would say Damagoth, but with a low degree of confidence. H, 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 where H is either a black or green mana. So four total mana, just like Blade Historian. 11, 10 creature demon. Whenever this attacks or blocks, sacrifice a creature. Here's my theory. It's big. It's big. I mean, that's the extent <laughs> of it. The, the return you are getting for four mana to produce an 1110, even if this card was like hot garbage, and it, it sort of is, like I think this 
restriction is more meaningful than people expect it is. I I think there's got to be a spot where you can just get paid on this regardless. And I don't think it just has to be like flinging at your opponent. I think its combination with Gray Merchant means that if you attack with this once, you probably win. And I think you should be able to find that scenario quite often. Uh, obviously, there's ways to like do combo setups where you just play this and fury it and fling it. Uh, maybe that's good enough. I don't know. That's, it seems like that's, that's worse than what we're already doing. That is a tall order with this mana cost, like playing Kazul's Fury in your deck, but it is. Do what you yeah, gotta do. Sure. Yeah. So I haven't actually built too many Damagoth Titan decks yet. I had a mono black devotion list in my article this week, which was focused all on devotion stuff that I thought was interesting. There, there's good combinations. There's good fodder for this card. Uh, I actually appreciate the fact that this can turn Skyclave Shade into a defensive card. That's a really nice, subtle conversion where you get to play some de- defense with your Damagoth Titan and block because you can cash in your Skyclave Shade reliably. So that's a pretty cool interaction. Uh, and there's probably some other ones out there. And you can still put Demonic Embrace on this have it fly you can make it trample in a bunch of ways so i am interested to explore this card i think it is rare rate return that we're looking at here and you always have to respect that yeah and you should be able to find something to do with it the the b11 flyer that dies you learn you get the three mana card that makes some pests like there are there are definitely ways to to fuel this thing Sedgemore Witch is another solid one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. You, you don't even need a, a ton of spells. Like I said before, you know, trigger it once or twice, you're probably fine. Uh, all these cards have issues, obviously, but yeah, Titan into Grey Merchant does seem solid to me as long as you have Sacrifice Fodder. Yeah, uh, Grey Merchant's a weird card, one that we certainly expected much more from it than we got, and I think it has proven itself to be much weaker than we expected, but you get the right support around it. I mean, there's like Fiend Artisan out there. there there's good cards to back this up. And uh, at, at some point, there must be enough Black Pips on the battlefield where you can actually start to take Grey Merchant <laughs> seriously again. Yeah. The Biblioplex. Land, tap, add C. Two, tap, look at the top card of your library. If it's an instant or sorcery card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it into your graveyard. Activate only if you have exactly zero or seven cards in your hand. This is pretty medium, but if but. you're at a spot, <laughs> if you're if you're at a spot where you're able to add it at very low cost, you're playing a more either draw go oriented approach or something that just burns through your hand very quickly. You know, we've seen similar things from like Seagate Wreckage and Eldrazi Tron. Uh, that's come before. Obviously, that's not going to work here because instant sorcery, you really don't get much benefit. Um, so there's a unique setup you're looking for, I would say. But I think anytime you staple not only card drawing, but a little bit of graveyard filling onto a land, it has potential. Despite the hoops you have to jump through, I would keep this card on my radar. I don't have anything to do with it right now. I'm not excited to put it into decks, but I do think it is a functional magic card that we should be aware of. It was on my list for Jadzi stuff just because I was doing a lot of ramping in a lot of my decks, but there were things like Crawling Barons and even Radiant Fountain that I would have rather played than this card. And Mm -hmm. it is a lot of hoops to jump through. I don't know. It's like seven cards in hand. Well, you're probably winning zero cards in hand. I I guess this will help you, but I don't really know how you get to that point. It's a puzzle to be solved. And, uh, you know, I... 
I think like we know some precedent for things like Library of Alexandria. I don't want to compare this card to Library because obviously that's a little silly, but having this turn on so early, especially in spots where you just want to draw go through those first two turns and like maybe hit a wrath effect on turn four, and that's going to be your first play the majority of games, I think this card becomes pretty interesting. It does work well with Fortel, where if you know you just draw go until turn three, you activate this thing, you hit, you untap, you Fortel a card, you're still at seven. You yeah, know, you, you don't have to discard that. That's certainly fine. I just don't know how often that situation will come up. Me neither. Last card, Cody Vociferous Codex, three mana, one four, legendary artifact creature construct. You can't cast permanent spells. Four tap, add Wooberg. When you cast your next spell this turn, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile an instant or sorcery card with lesser mana value. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Put each other card exiled this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. All right. First, this card is indisputably adorable. And the fact that the Codex is named Cody, I support that. People are going to say it's lazy. No, it's not lazy. It's brilliant. And I am here for Cody Vociferous Codex. Kind of draws a card, kind of cascades you. That sounds powerful to me. Adds a mana. Adds a mana, so it ramps a little bit. Maybe maybe one, color four fixes for three. You. Yeah, could fix your colors. One four for three can block in some scenarios pretty well. It's, it's not the best blocker, but it, it can do it. There's restrictions for sure. This being probably the only creature you're going to play in your deck means you're asked to do something pretty specific. You're not using this to ramp to ultimatums or anything, so you need to find a specific range of spells that really benefits from Cody's acceleration and then uh, cascading effect. But I could see myself building a Cody deck. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what my end goal is. But in terms of just like return on this card again, I think it is close it is there it is worth diligence uh and this card wouldn't have been on my top 10 list but i I maybe would have given it an honorable mention just because i think it's neat and worth talking about i was more excited about this card when i read like the name the mana cost and started reading the text box and then i realized it was a creature i was like oh that kind of stinks but yeah a little bit more of honorable i mean a lot of it depends on what removal spells are being played too though i think that's an important part of the equation yeah i mean if it's if it is immune then cool it's immune but certainly there are more things that just like tag a random creature than tag a random artifact for sure this this works pretty well with shark typhoon right you're talking about like not being able to play creatures or whatever but it's like you can do things that make tokens and stuff so okay yeah that works it's not that bad I don't think it's good. It's this this is the same problem, right? Three mana creature that doesn't actually impact the battlefield on the turn yep. that you cast it. So yep, yep, yep. Yeah, a lot of that going on here. But uh, still, props for this card. It's fun. It has me intrigued. If you can if you can do that to me every set, then when we move past this extreme power swell we've experienced with Throne of Eldraine, I think everything will be in a really really good place. I agree. That's I, I wish that this was a set that existed in a timeline where these cards were on par with everything else. Yeah. Yeah, just rotate all drain. We're done with it. And I, then enough. I, I think that a lot of these cards, like these creatures that give you value and do these cool things, then you know that would be a good standard to have. And that would be a set that I would be willing to get excited about. But there's not like a ton of, you know, build arounds even in in this set so 
it is just like a lot of value creatures, which is fine. I'm not mad about it, but doesn't really get the juices flowing, you know? That, that is the tagline for Strixhaven. Put it on the box. It's fine. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> no, what, there, there was something you said like leading up to Cody, I think. I don't know. It was kind of similar to that. Yeah, I, I have a feeling we hit the same notes repeatedly on this cast. So hopefully people still appreciated this look at Strixhaven. A little bit different from what we usually do with these sets. If nothing else, I hope we got some juices flowing, some decks that you're excited to build. Uh, I'll certainly pop some decks over on my Twitter page in the next week or so. Although I'm kind of getting to the end of the things I was super desperate to build, and I might just be waiting for it to actually hit Arena and being able to build uh, in a little bit cleaner interface. Not that I don't love Scryfall. Scryfall always getting me through these preview seasons. But, uh, you know, actually doing it in Arena is still a little bit easier when the time comes. I'm pretty sure I'm hitting Historic first, man. Yeah, it's a lot drawing me in that direction. I understand why you feel that way. Game. Game.